This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a Friday edition of the show. It's the first hour. You know what that means. It's news panel time. So let's welcome into the show our panelists, Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Joita. Good morning, Dave. And hello, Michelle. All right, we'll get to Michelle in a second. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Dave and Joita. Sorry about all this. We're having... It's one of those tech days. These things happen. It's just the technology world that we live in. Let's jump right into our first topic. Immigration Minister Sean Frazier has revealed new immigration targets for the federal government that he says are focused on economic growth. The government is setting a goal of admitting 500,000 immigrants per year by 2025. That represents a 7.5% increase from current immigration targets. Make no mistake, this is a massive increase in economic migration to Canada. Uh, We have not seen uh, such a focus on economic migration as we've seen in this immigration levels plan. Minister Fraser reflected further on how the current job market is impacted by labour shortages. There were a million jobs uh, available in the Canadian economy at a time when immigration already accounts for nearly all of our uh, labor force growth. We cannot maximize our economic potential if we don't embrace immigration. A few more things to uh, lay out before we jump into the conversation. Again, to reiterate, the number, although is an increase, it's 7.5%. It's not a gargantuan increase. We're already admitting uh, well over 400,000 people a year into Canada as immigrants. And this does come at a cost of the reduction of the number of refugees that Canada is planning to accept. So just a little more context before we jump into the conversation. Joita, what do you think of the number? Too many, too little, just right, Goldilocks? (laughs) It's hard to have a take on the precise number. I mean, why is it 500,000 and not say 520,000 or 480,000. So I'm not going to quibble about the exact number, but uh, one of the things we know from that clip, and no one's really been shy about admitting this, is this has primarily been driven by economic needs and shortages in the labor market. It is a consistent push to try and bring immigration policy to serve Uh, our labor market needs. Again, not a surprising thing to do. That's often been why we've accepted immigrants to Canada. And we know as well that the number of immigrants accepted to Canada has steadily been on the rise, especially since Justin Trudeau took office. So that has been a climbing upward. So I'm not going to have analysis around the specific number. I don't really see the point. But I do think it is part and parcel of a larger trend where we are sort of pivoting to say that immigration is about meeting needs within the job market and um, the number of immigrants we accept in Canada has steadily been on the rise. Michelle Jewitt is right to sort of criticize me and say, Dave, don't focus on the individual numbers, focus on the broader policy. So what do you make of the policy? What do you make of the increase? Yeah, I I would agree with Jewitt. I think the the number is sort of, you know, Politicians like to present nice round numbers and 500,000 is exactly that kind of figure uh, and, and put things in perspective. And it's kind of easy. It's a number that's easy, easier to contextualize than if we went by strictly by percentages, for instance. So I think it's, that's kind of part of that messaging. But yeah, the, the, the trend towards focusing on economics uh, is an interesting one. Obviously, there are, are obvious needs to be felt 
um, or to be dealt with here. What, what strikes me as quite interesting is that the, even the Conservatives did not kick up a fuss about the, the rise in the immigration target for the government. I thought for sure there might be some part of the wrangling there. So clearly the, the economic need as presented by the government is legitimate and one that everyone is getting on side with, with backing. Where my concerns arise might be a little bit around if that was the only messaging around immigration and if people in need and refugees and all the programs meant to support those who are not necessarily coming here to fulfill an economic purpose that still have very good reasons to, to try to make a home in Canada. If those programs fall by the wayside, if the economic narrative begins to trump this other one and cast it as a secondary one or even casting those who are not coming here for economic purposes as villains, that's where I would start to have some concerns. Fortunately, it's early days yet, so we, we are not there. But we do know that refugee acceptances are going to be curtailed a little bit because of this new immigration push. So uh, I will be watching that one with some interest. Joita Michelle alludes to the reduction in accepting refugees, and certainly we know it has not necessarily been a very pretty <laughs> picture for those coming from Afghanistan or mm-hmm. refugee seekers coming across the border in uh, the border in Quebec. But does the refugee side of this conversation impact the way you perceive the policy? Yes, it's impossible to delink the two. I think, with any degree of certainty, it can be argued that. On the one hand, they're increasing immigration and accepting, quote-unquote, the right kind of immigrant. So they're also looking for skilled labor um, and people who uh, presumably will do well under our point system as and offering them a pathway to permanent residency. So they're often... Uh, so that's happening on the one hand. On the other hand, they are now talking about reducing uh, the number of refugees accepted by nearly a third. Now, it is possible... In fairness to the government, and Michelle can tell me if I have my facts wrong, it is possible that they increased slightly the number of refugees they accepted uh, given the crisis in Ukraine. And so they might now no longer perceive a need to accept quite so many Ukrainian refugees, which might account for why they feel they could allow that number to shrink a little. But it is an incontrovertible fact that there is a tremendous need. You talked about Afghanistan. There are people languishing in refugee camps all over the world. So we know, we've said it here, no one in the government is is denying it, that this policy is clearly economically motivated. I would have felt at minimum they would have maintained the number of refugees given the need that we just, that I just alluded to. But, uh, you know, the other piece around this is the number of refugees that we've been accepting has also steadily been on the rise. So in in the context of the overall immigration picture, although it is disappointing to see this announcement where they will cut the number of refugees accepted by a third, if you look at the trends, we have, on in general, over the last twenty odd years, been accepting more refugees than we were when, you know, at the outset. So that number has also kept going up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the other piece around this is, um, and I sort of talked about this earlier about accepting the right kind of immigrant, and we're not really talking about the non-status temporary workers that come to Canada. Uh, there's been uh, many calls made. Now, I think well over a decade, advocates have been calling for status and security and benefits for people like migrant farm workers 
who come and work here on a seasonal basis. And often these are the workers who come to Canada year in, year out, contribute to our income, to pay taxes, and come to Canada for decades at a time. but grow, have Grow our food. Grow our food, but have no pathway to permanent residency or citizenship, which is what this policy is now making possible for 500,000 people. So there's also a double standard there. When we say this policy is economically driven, I think we need to be thinking critically about exactly what that means and what kind of workers we're actually looking to attract through this policy. So let's talk about the economics because there is a treasure trove of data that says increasing immigration is vitally important to maintaining a tax base while our population (coughs) ages. And certainly we can understand where there's a lot of places in this country we're going through, not necessarily population decline, but certainly some population flatlining as more and more folks are retiring. Here's where it gets tricky, though, because let's work under the number of 500,000. Over the course of six years, that would represent a 10% increase in the overall population of Canada. 3 million people, 10%. I'm generalizing on some numbers here, but you get what I'm driving at. That we're talking about significant population increases as you play this out in the aggregate. At the same time, we are dealing with some pretty critical economic issues that I would say top of mind for Canadians are things like our healthcare system that is in rough shape. Housing and affordable housing and a lack of housing is a huge consideration for a lot of Canadians. Food security also plays into this as we've seen a massive increase in the use of food banks, that data coming from Food Banks Canada and some researchers in Saskatchewan earlier this week. So with these contexts in mind, understanding their economic strains in place, it's really hard to digest a policy that's going to be increasing overall population if there's not in conjunction with it significant investments in those areas that I mentioned, especially things like housing, healthcare, education, food security. And of course, we're going to talk about education in the next segment. That said, I'm going to keep meandering here for a second if you'll bear with me. Obviously, some of the positions that this immigration is looking to fill are in sectors like healthcare, construction, education, etc. Again, I, I think that there needs to be more to this plan. It has to be multifaceted. Michelle, is it even conceivable to have this conversation considering those strains that I've mentioned without having some plan in place to address a concrete plan to address those strains? I mean, I would completely agree with you. And we find ourselves in a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, I think, a little bit, because even within this news conference where this announcement was made, there were some comments along the lines of, yes, well, many of the people that we're hoping to attract with this new target are supposed to help fill vacancies in those fields. Some of these people can help build the new housing that we need, can help deliver the health services that we require. Uh, so you find yourself in a bit of a circular argument here of like, okay, well, we need these people to deliver these services, but how are we going to provide for them before they're able to uh, enter the job market and and, and fill those roles? So, yeah, I I agree with you. These kind of conversations are impossible to have without discussing these things. There is a bit of some kind of tacit acknowledgement that there are some parts of Canada, I think, that are perhaps better equipped to, to step up and fulfill those needs than others. Uh, the program has indicated that the the goal is to help funnel some of the new arrivals to underserved areas, so not necessarily sending everyone to Toronto, Bay, Montreal, and Vancouver, uh, which is probably something that advocates would be concerned about if, they, if that were to be the approach taken because of extreme housing crunches in, in some of those cities. Um, I'm sure some of the new arrivals might be a little put off by the cost of living in some of those cities as well. Uh, so... 
those kinds of, those kinds of acknowledgements are in the wind, but not necessarily front and center, at least not to our knowledge. So I, I don't know if those kinds of conversations around ramping up housing and healthcare investments and whatnot to support this plan are in place or if they're taking place at all. But I would certainly like to think so. Joita, I tried to make that argument with as much good faith as possible because I understand there are some elements of that that could be perceived as xenophobic or anti-immigrant sentiment. So I tried to make that argument in a way that was rational and didn't try to tap into those elements. But I'm curious, as we talk about the issue and talk about the economic importance of increasing Canada's population, can we do that without realistic, tangible plans in place to address the strains that already exist? No, I mean, I think you're not saying anything uh, controversial. How many times have we heard about the neuroscientist who's a cab driver, right? We have long acknowledged that our immigration system is broken, that our resettlement efforts fall short of where they need to be. Um, There are very specific challenges that uh, have been talked about at nauseum. For example, recognizing foreign credentials is a really big one. You've got skilled uh, workers coming in, unable to procure licensing and the ability to practice in their skilled trade. So they're having to make choices between driving cabs and paying their bills versus going back to school and getting requalified. These are longstanding problems that we've had. The one thing I'll say is... um, it's the federal government that's setting immigration policy. So that 500,000 number comes from our federal government, but a lot of the things that you're talking about, housing, healthcare, education, mm-hmm. who's actually setting policy around that? I'm mm-hmm. not going to say the federal government is off the hook because they're not, but it's also the provinces that are largely responsible for things like housing and healthcare. And the question that I'd be curious to ask, apart from, you know, do we need to have a robust plan for housing, healthcare, and education? Uh, apart from that is, is it actually feasible and is it are those conversations actually taking place uh, between the provincial and federal governments, especially if we're talking about resettlement for refugees in underserved parts of this country? We know that Toronto and Vancouver, uh, immigration central, but other parts of Canada, not so much. So are provinces actually having a dialogue with the federal government or you know, is the federal government going in one direction, announcing 500,000 new immigrants, and is the, pro- the province going the other direction, saying, but we just don't have the capacity or the infrastructure mm-hmm. to support these people? That is a mystery, and I don't have access to the halls of power. Yeah, we need federal dollars to go with this plan. Well, and we're already seeing a province mounting some resistance to this plan. Uh, Quebec has already indicated that they will not accept more than the target that they have already set. Now, they're not doing it on grounds of... We don't have the housing capacity or we need more education investment or anything like that. Their their narrative is all around protecting French. So that's Mm -hmm. a whole other topic and can of worms that we can get into. But the point being, though, that there already is some provincial resistance to this plan, even at these very, very early days. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.